This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, I want candy, giving your characters a balanced diet in speculative fiction. There's something about hearing an English person say candy that just doesn't sit right with me. It sounds wrong. I mean, I think I'm kind of going from the Mrs. Beaton's um, Housekeeper's Guide version of candy, where it just meant preserving yeah. things in sugar. But, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, because, you know, we we do talk about candied something or another, don't we? Yeah, so. candied violets, candied chestnuts. Basically, yeah. if it looks semi-edible, we've probably dipped it in sugar and crystallised it at some point in our past. Ah, <laughs> uh, Yes. <laughs> But we're not actually talking just about sweets today. <laughs> no, we're not. Um, basically, this is this, this is not so much a Jules has an opinion episode. This is more of a Jules was thinking about this and decided that everyone else should know what she thinks about it. Kind of. <laughs> but I think everyone's going to kind of see where I'm coming from. Um, basically, we all have our little darlings in fiction, um, whether mm. we're writing them, whether we're reading about them. It's less of a yeah. problem. A lot of the time if we're reading about them except that they can be a boredom factor but what mm. happens is generally the author tries to preserve their character in sugar <laughs> um this metaphor is not going away anytime soon by the way i'm going to beat it to death over the course of this episode <laughs> um but basically yes our most precious darling cinnamon roll character who is to be loved and given everything so kind of like you're the god of this universe and you are really, really biased towards this one person. <laughs> yes. That person can do no wrong. No harm must come to them. They must not even stub a toe kind of thing. Okay, I'm exaggerating at this point. Yeah. <laughs> um, the problem is whenever you do that, you throw the entire story out of whack. When a character mm. has too much candy, it will rot the story. See, I told you I would beat this metaphor to death. Yeah, you are really, really going for it. Yep. And I'm here for that. Good. Um, <laughs> brace yourself guys and honestly when the metaphor looks like it's dead I'm going to take a short break reanimate it using necromancy and then beat it to death again <laughs> the truth of Jules's character is really shining through in this episode yeah. and I'm here for it Yeah, I just want you all to know what you signed up for before you listen any further <laughs> Yeah. now I understand that this particular kind of episode the thought came to you because you were reading a book and the you didn't feel like the main character was candied but you felt like the reveal at the end was uh yeah and i suppose it was one of those things where i could kind of draw a parallel line rather than that it was actually an issue but it made me think about other examples so it was one of those mm. ones where it was a tiny tiny little niggle in an otherwise good book and then it made me think about other books where it wasn't a tiny nigger that kind of really bugged me. And then, yeah. obviously, whenever I find something in the book that bugs me, I start thinking, shit, do I ever do that? Because that is... <laughs> that you kind of got to ask yourself that question unless you want to be a huge hypocrite. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, basically, that's what got me starting the whole sort of, like, uh, over-sugaring your character mm. is not a good thing in narrative terms. So, this week, I think we... Are going to talk about candied characters 
Yes. Candy. Preserved in sugar. <laughs> Preserved in sugar characters. And why they ruin everything and what to do about it. I know, like, we're talking about it meta- metaphorically, but there is a, a kind of a disturbing thought. It's like, a, oh, I love this character so much, I'm going to preserve them in sugar. Like, that's a horror story right there. Um, if well, we, if you, yeah, I mean, if, if you, you really want to be literal that. about it, if you want to, li- I mean, if you think about the temperature that sugar melts at, so that you get a nice runny consistency, yes, that is a horror story waiting to but happen. That's really, really horrible. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about metaphorically uh, candied characters. Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> my my brain also goes to strange places sometimes. I know this is um, this is why we get on. <laughs> We meet in the strange place. <laughs> that sounds like a book title. <laughs> they meet in the strange place. Yeah, a sort of literary type thing or something with yes. literary pretensions, but it's really sci-fi fantasy. Anyway, sorry, tangent. Tangent. Look, we've got to get better at spotting the tangents and not following them. We just did, to be fair. Anyway, yeah. okay. Um, so, first of all, I guess we should probably define what we mean by a candied character. So in writing terms, it often happens because an author, as we we kind of just touched on, is just a little bit too fond of a character and they just give them a little bit too much stuff. And when I say stuff, I mean the good stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, it can happen with a main character, which unfortunately tends to make the story limp. And it can also happen with a side character, which is more of a disaster because the side character then tends to steal the spotlight and completely derail the entire story. It is. It's a weird thing where you're suddenly like, do you do you like your side character more than your main character? Why are you telling the story from this character's yeah, why, point of view? Why is this? OK, you know, I'm going to go back and count the scenes. And the main character has about a third of the number of the scenes that this side character has. So what's going on there? Should we talk about this? Um, yeah, so uh, we will come to examples in a minute. And I, you know, fair warning, I don't want to pick on an old irritation, but it's, it's going to happen because it's a really, really good example of what not to do in a specific circumstance. Oh, God. Okay. Look, we all know that I'm a, I was going to say a low key bitch, but I don't actually think that's fair. I think just saying bitch is probably fairer. Um, and I don't really mince my words, so you knew what you signed up for when you, you clicked on this episode. Yeah, but I just love the fact that <laughs> I know immediately what you're going to talk about. and <laughs> It's because we meet in the strange place. We meet in the strange place, indeed. I feel like that should be on a t-shirt or a mug or something. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so how can you tell if you've given a character too much candy? Um, <laughs> other than a trip to the metaphorical dentist. Yes. Okay, they will have a lot of the following traits without mitigating factors. So basically, lots of the good stuff without um, failures and flaws and uh, less attractive traits. So, yeah, uh, one caveat, note that using some of these traits is absolutely fine. It's when you don't Mm. balance the candy in your character's diet, (laughs) it becomes a problem. Yes. Got to get some vegetation in, guys. Got to get your greens. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sorry. Oh no, you've got me started beating the metaphor now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's basically going to be you and me beating this metaphor. Okay. <laughs> In a strange place. In a strange um, 
So here are some of the traits. So the first one is lots of powers, skills and abilities which have not in some way been earned and are not also a liability and or a weakness of some kind. So like I'm all for a character having being powerful. I don't mind the trope which is someone is born with great power but then they have to learn to control it. I don't like I don't mind the trope of this is a great warrior but you know We've seen them literally training to become a great warrior. They didn't just pick up the sword and go, ta-da! Yeah, or someone happens to be, uh, you know, they've they've got a special ability of some kind. And Mm. that special ability could be epically cool, but it also hamstrings them in some way. Yeah, And the whole process of learning that balance. Or sometimes there's a huge trade-off, though. So, like, for um, Holly Black's Curse Workers series, Mm. for every... Every single one of the six main, I think it's six main gifts, um, mm-hmm. there is a corresponding and equal reaction. So if you have the gift whereby you can change something shape, mm-hmm. the corresponding blowback reaction, which will happen around sort of 10 to 15 minutes after you do this, so you've mm-hmm. only got a short window of time, um, is that your own shape becomes unstable for a while. You might suddenly yeah. sprout tentacles, for example. <laughs> and not in a good way. I don't know if there is a good way to sprout tentacles, but basically it's a disadvantage. <laughs> it makes me think of... Um, sorry, this is going to sound a little bit random, but there's there's a thing in D&D where you can... there's If there's wild magic around... Um, and you happen to use magic, which is, you know, obviously uh, a, a powerful thing to possess in the game. Um, every time you use magic, you then you then spin the the wheel of wild magic, and anything could happen. It could be to your advantage. It could be to your disadvantage. So you could have things like, oh, you're now invisible for a certain amount of time, or it could be you've just been thrown into an alternative dimension for a few seconds or you've been turned into a pot plant um you never know you never know what you're gonna get and like that brings me a lot of satisfaction i'm not gonna lie (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty cool it is (laughs) yeah so um as we were saying it's there's nothing wrong with a character having lots of skills there's nothing wrong with them starting off with a this is going to be the most random example (laughs) Um, but starting off with a, a, a really minor skill, maybe. So someone happens to be amazing at marbles. Mm. And, you know, that's the only thing they're really any good at. And they sort of build on it and, and gain something else and gain something else and gain something else. That's fine as well, because, you know, they're not just being handed everything on a silver platter at the beginning. Yeah. Um, or even midway through the story which is also very annoying. And then they never do anything with those powers because you've overpowered them. Well, yeah, that's the thing, right? Uh, this is this is one of the things, and we'll talk a little bit about our own examples, um, obviously, later on, but it was one of the things that where I, when I was creating the magical system for uh, the Hamashia cycle, I was just very conscious of the fact that, yes, theoretically, the Magi can be incredibly powerful, but... I was like, there's got to be limitations because otherwise <laughs> this is just going to be a bit too extreme. Yeah, it's kind of like playing uh, Elder Scrolls of some kind. At some point, if you keep playing that game, you're going to end up head of the Thieves Guild. You're going to end up being the head mage. You're going to end up head of the Assassin's Guild. 
um, and you know at the top of your game on every single other thing until by the end of it you're striding through the game like a minor god and no one can stand against you <laughs> and that's great because you've spent hours and hours and hours building your character up to that level but you can't yes. start a book with someone not like three steps away from that because where are you going to go yeah exactly unless you're writing some kind of comedy whereby <laughs> Anyway, um, that's getting into the particulars. So obviously, as we've said, um, this is one of the traits uh, that can indicate, and one of the pretty big traits that can indicate a uh, a candied character, but it's not the only one. So you also then have a lot of admiration or compliments from other characters. Now, this is something that Jules knows really annoys me. <laughs> weirdly this didn't come out of that conversation at all okay we obviously madeline and i talk outside dissecting dragons <laughs> yes we do but um, um i recommended something recently and i didn't notice something because that i tend to zoom out on tiny bits of subplot that don't actually interest me as much if it's not mm. massively relevant but Ma madeline really noticed it because i think you're slightly more of a romance first reader than i am maybe yeah i, I think potentially Yes, because I, I do like a good I do like a good romance um, in a book. So I did notice this, and I was getting a little bit sort of like, mm. and it's not it wasn't so much even that the character, as far as I was concerned, um, you know, had too much too many people interested in her. I don't actually mind there being multiple kind of um, uh, sort of relationship facets potentials as well. The thing that annoyed me was the persistent um, total l lack of, of um, understanding of, of the fact that this character was clearly very good looking um, or was clearly, clearly something was going on whereby they had multiple people who were interested in them um, and getting very visibly jealous about certain stuff. And they were like, hmm, I wonder why this is. Um, and, you know, they're like, oh, I'm not beautiful. And I'm like, please, please stop. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm getting, I'm, I'm just annoyed with the trope, to be honest. It's like, I think, uh, and the whole, the admiration, the compliments, the compliments were kind of laid on thick. I mean, if you think about it in real yeah. life, a genuine, sincere compliment that kind of takes you aback a bit doesn't happen very often. And it probably shouldn't happen very often, because if it does no. happen that often there's a chance you're surrounded by sycophants or there's yeah. some weird enchanted shit going on in your life. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, of course, it, it also depends on, you know, the context of what, of what the character is doing. So, for example, if the character is taking part in some kind of performative nature or where they have a large audience, then it kind of actually, it's relatively normal for lots of people to come sort of at the end and just be like, that was amazing or stuff like that. Um, so, you know, I can appreciate people sort of expressing sort of, um, what's the word, uh, congratulations and admiration and stuff like that. If there was a performative or there was a, a an audience kind of uh, element to it. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that that wasn't the case. Um, and the character in question from this book that I, I should actually say I really enjoyed. I actually really did like it. I had a lot of fun uh, listening to it. I listened to the audiobook and we'll, we might name it later on. Um, 
but um, at the same time, it was the fact that even before the character had kind of really done anything, they had people who were suddenly very sort of showing a lot of admiration or showing interest in them or coming to sort of see what they had to say and stuff like that. And I just felt a bit meh. And there was only one time where really we saw a character who showed absolutely no interest until he found out that um, she was... Uh, she was an archer. Um, he was. She was one of the archers that he had seen, uh, sort of doing stuff before, and he'd seen how good she was. And then he showed interest in her. But other than that, I don't know. It it, it was just a little bit sort of like, okay, but she's not done anything yet. <laughs> you can't just show her lots of attention because she happens to be a woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, lots of admiration and compliments from other characters definitely mm. too much candy um unless there's a context specific reason within the story yeah um so for example there's there's that great buffy episode um i can't remember it but basically it's the ooh jonathan episode where he's actually made a some sort of demonic pact to make himself the best of everything and suddenly right. the show the show just revolves around this very minor and quite like sort of little twerpy character and it's hilarious <laughs> it's so funny and it, it's quite meta in the way it kind of takes story structure apart as yeah. in you they even changed the credits at the beginning so all the original scenes were kind of like cut scenes of him doing amazing stuff instead and <laughs> you know, the first time i watched it i was kind of like what the fuck is going on but it's so <laughs> clever um, so yeah, if there's a context-specific reason, then yes, but you better pay up if you're going to do that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, this one, I'm not sure. I kind of agree with it, but also I, I think it's okay as long as you're you're being balanced. Again, all of these things are okay if you're being balanced, but this is mm. unique and often colourful physical attributes. So unusual hair colours, unusual eye colours, um, unusual height or strength or you know petiteness or whatever yeah i mean jules you have you know that i'm a slut for this <laughs> the first the first thing i notice on somebody is their eyes so i am well aware that when i'm describing a character and i do give a bit more appearance than and some authors don't mention character appearance at all because it's not important to them and that's fine but generally yeah. I find the people who read my books tend to like to know kind of what the characters look like roughly. And then I'm sure yeah. they make up their own in the head anyway. Um, but I always describe the character's eyes because that's the first thing I notice on someone. So it yeah. really took me a, back, uh, a while back when I was in a, a reading group and someone goes, I don't get all this stuff about people that this author's describing someone's eyes. It's like, you don't notice, you haven't got a clue. You could be with someone for six months and not know what eye colour they've got. And I'm thinking... Um, okay I, uh, no that is not my experience at all that is literally the first thing I notice and I remember I will remember decades later for some reason it, that is the first thing so there you go it's, it's very personal in that respect yeah absolutely but then I haven't given anyone bright purple eyes or anything like that yet yet oh there's there's going to be time but there will be a reason in the story that they've got unusual eyes <laughs> It's like I do have one character who has gold-flecked eyes, and there's a very good reason for that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so 
And also you learn that everyone else can't see the gold flecks. They just, all they can actually see is, oh, yeah, he's got quite nice brown eyes. He's got quite nice brown eyes, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm such a fangirl. Um, Anyway. (laughs) No, absolutely. Um, And one of the things that I've definitely tried to do is, because I'm the same as you, I think eyes are very, very important. It's one of the first things that I notice as well. Um, And maybe, you know, a part of that comes from the fact that I grew up in the UAE. It was not uncommon for the people around me um, for me to only be able to see a lot of the women's eyes, for example. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, there was a there was a cultural thing. Certainly, I, I sort of saw that in uh, in certain parts of the UAE where, you know, th- these women would be dressed very beautifully um, in, in Ubayad and, and stuff like that. And uh, that it would be very stylish. They'd look fantastic. They'd have their nails done and they'd have, you'd see their eyes and they'd had their eyes done um, you know, up and they looked absolutely gorgeous but their eyes would be so striking and there was a lot of emphasis on eyes in advertising as well and things like that so I guess sort of growing up, I was always drawn to eyes and and I continue to be I think that they're just amazing and I can, I'd love them so I think it's also um, if you care about someone or you see someone and, and you kind of look into their eyes, you will find beauty in that. You will find uniqueness. Like, to be honest, if you actually really look into someone's eyes, um, you will find that they're that they're beautiful, you know, in or, some form or another. Or you can have the absolute opposite reaction and go, oh my God, you have the cold dead eyes of a shark. I don't want to know you. I've had that experience as well. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That obviously can happen. <laughs> but but yeah so ah, cold dead fish eyes cold dead fish uh, eyes. um yeah but so the whole unique not in cat colorful physical attributes thing i think it can be as a as an example i heard one agent say please deliver me from yet another romance manuscript whereby the heroine is a spirited young woman with um a riot of red curls and brilliant green eyes because it became a thing for a while that heroines mm. of romance would have this unusual striking coloring or even red hair and blue eyes which again is it it's not quite as rare as red and green but it's it is quite unusual um mm. so i i kind of get that that sort of like oh no everyone has to look like this when you could have someone who is just as attractive but they've got brown eyes and brown hair yeah, what's the what what the hell's with the stigmatism against against brown eyes? I don't know. Brown eyes is my favourite. Go figure. <laughs> I think I always wanted brown eyes as a as a child. I thought I had boring eyes because they're this weird bluey grey colour. So there you go. I was always very envious of people who had lovely clear brown eyes. <laughs> so it's not everyone not everyone thinks that way. <laughs> yeah. You always want what you don't have, though, don't you? Yeah. Well, it depends, really. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> okay, so other candy that can be added to a character that you probably shouldn't add. <laughs> um, easy success whenever they face a challenge. Yeah, um, and to be honest, this is just 
it's just going to immediately come up in your writing as well because it's going to start to feel seriously boring. Yeah. Um, if your character is not facing genuine challenges, if everything is way too easy for them, then what's the point? You know, why should we follow them? Why should we care? Yeah, absolutely. Or you, I think it's most annoying when you really set up something or mm. when something when you're reading something and it, it's really been set up. There's this... You, the author's been going on for the last three chapters about how difficult this is going to be. Mm. And then the main character sort of rocks up. There's a brief moment of, oh, this could go south. And the readers are really sitting forward on the edge of their seat, ready for this, this big showdown. And nothing happens because the main character, after the slightest of scares, just kind of solves it all. Yeah, like... But, Again, you could use it for comedic reasons. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't ever say never when you're yeah. writing something. But for the purposes of this, that's if that happens too many times, you're going to lose your reader's faith in you as a writer. Yeah, well, it's just... Yeah, where's the peril? Where, like, You kind of don't really want to root for anyone who's, who's always going to, you know, just have easy success. It's... <laughs> it was like... It's like, um... Okay, this is going to sound stupid, but Wolverine, right? Yeah. Now, Wolverine as a character, uh, little Karibo put it very, very succinctly. He said, um, you know, why should we why should we care for a character who who could probably survive being blasted into the sun? Um, but at the same time, I feel like what they did with Wolverine is that, yes, he is physically very strong. Um, he is battle ready he is capable um and he can heal himself he has this healing factor um and so the peril that he's faced with is not to do with that it's not physical peril he's faced with it's often emotional peril it's often i mean he is faced with physical peril too but you know uh, you have all of these other aspects that are coming in where we've basically said okay just because you're strong in that way the peril that we have to present this character with has to be different so that it's not just an easy fix so you can definitely have a character who you know has these amazing attributes um and might be able to survive a battle very very quickly but then the main peril can't be related to that no um and in that scenario taking it on from where you've just just said um yeah the peril for wolverine in that scenario is the fact that he cannot be everywhere he's one person so he cannot save everyone so what yeah. he's going to do is lose someone in that battle and he doesn't yeah. know who um, which, you know, if you think about all the things he lost through becoming the way he is, yes, he had the healing factor, um, yeah. but he was basically experimented on and tortured for years and programmed and he lost a huge chunk of his past. Um, mm. It's left him really diff with a great deal of difficulty connecting with other people or yeah. finding someone. So he's a very lonely character and there's a good chance he's going to outlive most of them anyway. Yeah, so, absolutely. So yeah, he loses so much by what he's gained there, but that is a really good example of balance without, mm. you know, without too he's got some candy, but honestly, it's kind of like uh, yeah. It's more of a curse than <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's it's kind of like, yeah, I know this is going to make me really ill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um so yeah, and <laughs> 
really sorry for him as a character, to be honest, though. Because also the other thing is that, you know, he's not always guaranteed a win. He can lose in a battle. Yeah. Um, and you if, know. if he's up against Magneto, he's kind of screwed. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like, it's, it, it is it is all to play for. The other thing is, if you can't die, you can't ever escape. You can just be in lots and lots of pain. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. There's no kind of like, well, there's an expiration date on this. There isn't. <laughs> I find that quite disturbing. Yeah, so do I. Okay, um, other types of candy. Being chosen or special. We have actually done an entire episode on this. And, mm. you know, that there are reasons why you would have a chosen or special character. A chosen or special character is not automatically a candied character. Again, no. it's all about the balance. If you've got someone who is chosen and special, and I'm just thinking about a book I read, which I don't want to name because I don't want to be mean to the author, um, who is an, a, another indie author, and I feel that they were learning at the time. But this person in the book is suddenly kind of like, suddenly discovers she's got these magical powers, and mm. she tells her close eight friends who are all, all about her and don't seem to have any real lives of their own mm. about this, and they're all really supportive and... So it's like, well, you have to go away to this mystical academy because, you know, that's amazing. We're all behind you kind of thing. And it was it was like that all the way through the book. Um, and it's just that kind of being chosen where it doesn't really impact on a plot or anything like that is is not good. Yeah, it's this is one of the interesting things about sort of candied characters is that I think sometimes people use them in the sort of the Mary Sue kind of way in that they want to have that kind of complete and unequivocal support. They want to have this friendship. And the problem is that what they've done is that they've put brought in a fantasy, which is a nice fantasy, um, but they've sacrificed story in doing so. Yeah. And it's fine if you're writing something just for yourself. I mean, it's like, Basically, you're playing Barbie with your characters, mm -hmm. whereby your main character could be absolutely anything you want her to be. And she'll yeah. have everything. She'll have every opportunity. Every every difficulty will be taken out of her path kind of thing. Yeah. And if that's what you want to write, there's nothing wrong with that. But you are not going to maintain an audience with that because people read for very different reasons. And the chances are that what you're writing there to heal whatever's missing from your own life is not going to be helpful to someone else. No. Um, and again, it, this this doesn't mean automatically that it's impossible for you to write a story where a bunch of friends, you know, all support one another. That's that's not the case at all. But, you know, but, the I fact mean, of the matter is that the, the, <laughs> these characters need to be alive on their own, as it were. Uh, yeah, I have to say, I did think... <laughs> hang on, do these eight friends actually, can we, I mean, to be honest, even maintaining eight really, really close friends, even as a teenager, is quite extraordinary. Um, but I, I actually was thinking, is this kind of like an Iago situation where they could technically be tiny offshoots of her psyche and they don't really exist? Because <laughs> I can't imagine eight people acting like this around this one person, unless she is actually really the villain. Uh, but it wasn't that clever, so it was unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> The twist was she was mind-controlling them. Um, special emphasis on personal backstory. Now, I like a good backstory for a character, and you should definitely know where they've come from, but it should be kind of drip-fed into their arc anyway. And, it, mm. you know, it, it, 
the focus should not be on their backstory, not in a kind of like, oh, I'm, you know, they're surly for seven books and you get to the eighth book and you finally find out what the problem was. And it, it I don't know, someone, someone was mean to me in fourth form or something like that. Um, whatever it is, it's, again, it, it's the balancing act. And I, I don't know, if you've got something that's really affecting someone's character, then the, I guess what I'm saying is the focus of the book, if you're writing the book and you keep having to bring up this backstory constantly, then maybe you shouldn't be writing a book about the time you're writing it about. Maybe you should be writing it about the backstory time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's the question. <laughs> Do you actually... <laughs> are you telling the right story? <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, and I don't think... it. It's kind of not cool to not have that backstory in your mind. And then... I don't know, eight chapters in, 12 chapters in, three books in or whatever, suddenly this becomes an issue and this mm. chunk of backstory appears out of nowhere magically. And I have been known to sort of wink a little bit at um, people getting away with the odd sliver of things. So, for example, one that I, I let slide, even though I know it's a bit cheeky, is in Firefly where Mal gets stabbed during the sword fight. Mm -hmm. And then gets up and says, the funny thing about being in the war was it uh, killed off that cluster of nerves, etc. And it's like, hmm, well, we knew you were in the war and everything, but we, we you've never really talked about it. It's sort of just there in the background. You've never set it up so that we know that you've had, you know, this would actually give you an advantage. It's cheeky. I'm allowing it because I really like the show, but I saw what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like TV shows often do it, but they don't tend to do it in season one. Yeah. It tends to be, right, well, we've kind of run our course there, uh, but we've been renewed and we don't quite know what to do. Yeah. I feel like Supernatural did it a lot. And Supernatural gets away with it again because everyone loves the characters. Yeah. For some reason. <laughs> Sorry, I was <laughs> being very salty. <laughs> I feel like there was some sort of unresolved tension there, Madeline. Unresolved tension. I don't want to chase yeah. it. But yeah, the special emphasis on personal backstory. Um, again, it's balancing because everybody else should have their own backstory as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, being proven right whenever there is a disagreement. Now, as much as we would like this in real life mm. for ourselves, this is just not realistic. It's... The thing is, like, I think this is used... It's used to some in some respects in children's fiction, usually when you have, like, characters. So, for example, it's used very successfully in a series of unfortunate events. Yeah. Where the whole point is that the, the adult characters can't really be trusted. The kids are consistently saying, hey, this is happening, and that's Count Olaf. And everyone be like, what are you talking about? Count Olaf, <laughs> you know, looks like this. And you look over and it's very clearly Count Olaf, um, you know, in a wig or something like that. Um, just putting on a funny accent. Um, so it can be used successfully in terms of, you know, the whole point is that these kids are not being believed when they should be believed. So they're always correct in that in that regard but that's a very specific kind of setup and a very specific kind of situation um if you constantly have a character who is just always right it it's gonna get tired 
real quick. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of reminds me of the 80s He-Man. And, <laughs> and every week it, it's the sort of the the trite little morals at the end. And remember, kids, um, you know... Don't start forest fires. <laughs> well, yeah, it's usually something like that. It's something really inane where you'd go, why on earth would you need to tell me that? Surely anyone with half a brain has already thought of it, kind uh, of thing. But. <laughs> but. Uh, and, you know, there was never anything really in his way in the first place. And then someone will say something and then a human will say something. And then it's kind of like, oh, human, you're right. Once again, thank God you're with us kind of thing. <laughs> it's like the world would grind to a halt if He-Man was not there with his logic. And let's bear in mind that he's a muscle-bound himbo, you know? <laughs> yeah. But he's a he's sweet, really. Not sort in, of. <laughs> not in that version. <laughs> not in the 80s version, he's not. He's kind of like, go away, I want Skeletor to win. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's why I liked the remake. <laughs> I liked that Adam, I thought he was cute. And I, I don't mean that in a cute as in, ooh, cute. I, I was just there like, aww. Sort of. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, so, yes. Um, always having the character be right. To be honest, it also means that if your character is constantly right, there's just no room for them to grow. And if there's no kind of progress, if they're just completely set already throughout... Yeah. then um, that that is going to start to be boring. And again, it's one of the reasons why you can kind of make it work in children's fiction with cer in certain areas, because the whole emphasis on the growth that they're doing is that they're, they're growing up in different ways. In other words, they're becoming, you know, they're literally growing up. Um, so it's a, it's a kind of a different sort of vibe entirely but it does need to be done very specifically um, yeah. and in a very stylized sort of way and and that so. is that is something to think about is obviously your audience now if you have a super super candied character then mm. yeah you might actually get away with it as long as you don't derail your plot but you're only going to get away with it to a selection a section of audience who identify with that character and that's quite a narrow subsection of the audience you could have so just in, in pure sort of getting people to read your work terms, it can yeah. sort of hobble you a bit. Um, but Madeline's perfectly correct in that, you know, children, particularly if we're looking at mid-grade and younger, um, tend yeah. to like a little bit more candy than adults do. And that's fine. Yes. It's fairly natural. Yes. <laughs> you have a sweeter <laughs> tooth as a child, generally. <laughs> um, the other thing I have to say is I don't want to go in the other direction and have a character who has no candy at all okay yes. I'm, I'm not interested in this sort of growing trend that seems to have popped up in YA but is is sort of populating across to other genres as well whereby there's nothing exceptional about a character at all and it's mm. almost like it, they could literally be Joe anyone um, yeah that in almost as if individualism or striving to be something great is bad in and of itself and that we should all be kind of like this this boring morass um where yeah. nobody is more than anything more than anyone else at anything that bothers me because i think we should always be able to strive to be better yeah i agree and 
it, again, it depends on how it's done. For example, there was, this is going to sound silly, but the, the Lego movie. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the whole point of the Lego movie wasn't no one is, uh, you know, no one is, is special. Um, it, it was this idea that kind of everybody can be and that, uh, again, it was subverting the trope of what is it to be the chosen one? Um, we can decide to be the chosen one, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And in in a way, he wasn't particularly good at things. He wasn't good at, you know, building, you know, his his bunk couch, for example. <laughs> his designs were slightly too avant-garde to be practical. Um, but... <laughs> That's such an eloquent way of doing it. <laughs> the designs are a little avant-garde. <laughs> <laughs> All right, they were daft. But his unflagging optimism and the fact that he always treated other people well got people on board the yeah. fact that he was determined so you know those qualities that you know technically those things the the grit the determination the seeing other people and being good-natured all of that is actually candy it's just very digestible candy maybe it's the sugar-free yeah. kind again with beating the metaphor <laughs> get down please, please i beg you stop <laughs> mercy no <laughs> um so yeah uh it I, I like a character to have some special attributes, but mm. I don't want them to prance in with tricolored hair and a string of boy toys behind them. And oh, I'm just the girl next door, and oh, but I've got these wonderful magical powers, and nothing's ever been set up, kind of thing. Yeah, I... again, we're not saying automatically having these things is bad because you know what if i if i did say that for half of these things i would be a massive hypocrite um because i do have some very i do have some candy characters i'm not gonna lie um i have some very obvious candy characters <laughs> but i hope at the very least that i've you know that I've balanced them out. So you, if can, I said... <laughs> you can tell Madeline's candied characters because they get tortured more than anybody else. They really do. <laughs> but we will get on to that in a moment. Um, yeah, so basically, if you're having... A, give your character candy if you want, hopefully not too much, um, but ask yourself questions. If things come too easily to them, if, for example, there is no internal reason in the plot, so, for example, if everyone falls in love with them and they're not, for example... Um, a succubus or a highly skilled courtesan who has been trained to do this or mm. they're under some sort of gaze whereby oh shit someone else has fallen for me i shouldn't have gone outdoors today you know yeah. make it make it part of the plot don't just have everybody falling yeah. at their feet and also to be honest if you are going to have a character who is remarkable enough that literally everybody falls in love with them straight away um don't make them surprised because the, the, like m make it part of their character yeah know? i have to say uh one person i thought did this really well was eva ibbotson in a countess below stairs and it's a side character called sergey who is a Ru russian refugee during the mm -hmm. the russian revolution um but everyone for all women fall for him because he is polite he's charming he's absolutely gorgeous he's intelligent he um he was a, a duke i think in his own country he's young he's very personable and now he's working as a chauffeur in london and all the, yeah. the young ladies um 
of the aristocratic family he now chauffeurs for sort of mm -hmm. throw themselves at him. And he is unflaggingly polite, even though he finds their behaviour quite disturbing. But he is well <laughs> aware that he only, you know, he can literally have anybody he wants kind of thing. He's well aware of that. And he sort of learnt very early on to sort of say no with tact and also to say yes, shall we? But, you know, politely in a way that everyone understands, you know? Yeah, and absolutely. He, so he's definitely candied, but he's kind of candied in a way that, again, is very digestible. And it, it's... And like I, I really want to sort of emphasize this because as I said there's absolutely nothing wrong with having a character who lots of people desire um, but if you are a person who automatically is just having people fall at their feet um, that doesn't tend to just happen out of nowhere so there could be context for it so uh, the book that Jules and I were kind of alluding to before was The Daughter of the Moon Goddess by why have I just forgotten her name Sulin Tan Sulin Tan, that's it. Um, it's a really beautiful book. I do recommend it. Um, and to be honest, there was a level of understanding of why the main character might not have sort of been fully conscious or really understood um, why other people were sort of falling in love with her. Uh, firstly, because without too many spoilers, she wasn't exact. She didn't really have that much social training. Um, secondly, because when she was sort of interacting with other people, they were treating her with contempt because of her class, essentially. Um, so there's an element of, you can kind of understand why suddenly she's put into a position where she's in a slightly, she's in a more powerful position than she was previously. Um, and people are showing her interest and perhaps some of that is a little bit of people sort of trying to get in with her etc and and her just still not being able to compute the fact that she's she's an attractive person maybe not physically though I think physically as well um, she's an attractive person also because of her skills because of her position because of her vivacity etc so you can kind of understand it. It wasn't sort of out of left field. I was complaining mostly because I'm like, ah, oh, this trope again. Um, but I, I wasn't sort of saying, well, this is this is ruining it for me. Yeah. Um, so you can make it work. Um, but yeah, for the most part, if you've had someone, if you have a character who everyone is falling for, they will have had, they will have grown up to this. They will have experience of this. You know, so they would be conscious of it in a way that someone who hasn't had that experience wouldn't be. So why isn't your character conscious of it? And is it necessarily wrong to have them conscious of it? Do you, for example, have to have a womanizer just because they're, they're conscious of it? Um, again, an example of this is Rufus is very conscious of the fact that he can pull, um, <laughs> but he's not a womanizer. Yeah, yeah, similar with Kieran actually. Yes, exactly. Um, they know they're, <laughs> and to be honest, at times it's a disadvantage, particularly for Kieran. <laughs> yeah, beware if there's a redhead around or a fake queen or, you know. Actually, a woman uh, in general, apparently. Just woman in general, yeah. <laughs> Straight woman, anyway. Um, yeah, so candy is fine in moderation. A candy yes. character doesn't have to sabotage a story, but if your character has three or more from our list of, of candies... Uh, and not much in terms of flaws or weaknesses you've probably made them too sweet yes so consider what you're doing 
Okay, um, Candy for Villains, which is a completely different ball game. <laughs> you can absolutely give your villain too much candy. In fact, you probably should. It's good for them. <laughs> um, the reason for this is that your protagonist must eventually defeat the villain. So giving a villain all the good stuff creates a greater challenge for the main character and therefore yeah. a more satisfying finale when the main character does triumph. Um, the only problem with giving a villain too much candy is that you can really fall for them as an author and then yeah. suddenly your villain isn't getting the smackdown that they should be getting at the end of a story suddenly they're kind of like ah he shall live to fight another day and flapping off into the night which is not good yeah. <laughs> or your villain character i mean to be honest it's the candied candy candied oh no i like this villain character redemption arc <laughs> And yes. then the, the problem is that if you have a very candied character who then goes on a redemption arc and becomes a hero, they become a very candied hero. Yes. Unless you do it properly, um, which you can do. You can do it because going on the straight and narrow can be difficult and they could be faced with all sorts of different things. Um, uh, okay, so a good example of a candied character, Lex Luthor. Guy's got everything going for him. Yeah, actually, he does start... I mean, he does have... We'll, we'll get on to how you balance the candy in a minute, but yes, he does yeah. have some, some drawbacks and things. I think yes. this is explored really interestingly in the graphic novel Red Sun, where Superman doesn't end up in the US, he ends up in Russia, and Lex yeah. Luthor ends up becoming the hero in the US who is who rises up against him Yeah, because there's kind of like this totalitarian government type thing going on. That's really yeah. interesting. And it makes you think, well, Lex Luthor, with all these wonderful abilities and all this money and stuff behind him, all these advantages, should he have actually been the hero? And the reason he ended up being the villain was it was the only niche left open to him. Yeah. I like that as a thought experiment. I'm not sure it entirely holds water, but I like it as a thought experiment. Yeah. Well, the fact is that you get an, an element of the fact Lex Luthor is the way he is because he actually kind of wants to be praised and stuff like that. Yeah. And who knows what's going on underneath all of that. But we don't have time to dissect it today. Um, <laughs> no. So, I mean, you know, we've obviously gone through the things you can do to make a character candy. And yeah. You shouldn't do. But if they are your villain, then you can absolutely candy them. Just try not to fall for them at the same time. Yes. Um, and also be wary of candying them to the extent that it suddenly feels like it's impossible for the hero to win. Yeah. Um, you know the hero might have some good good old gumption and stuff like that but you know it's got to be realistic and to the the other thing about over candying a character is that sometimes you then have to you then have to make your character do things which then sort of feel totally um kind of out of whack this has been like a, a big thing for contrived example. <laughs> yeah exactly this has been a really big thing with it's done in some Marvel movies. It's done in sort of a lot of Disney are doing it where what they're doing is that they, they're essentially creating sort of terrorist characters who actually have like a decent argument and who have, and there's a lot of candy. They've got that tragic backstory. They're good looking. They're smart. They're, you know, they've got powers, etc. cetera. Um, they, and they've got a good reason, you know, for going against the, you know, for, for whatever they're fighting against like Killmonger in Black Panther for example yeah. um, he had some pretty good you know points actually 
and he was raising some interesting things. You could totally see um, where he was coming from, etc. And so he was this candied character. And then they're like, oh shit, we, we've got to remind people that he's the villain. So, um, okay, well, here's him killing some of his allies, including his girlfriend. Yeah. So that we remember he's the villain. And it just felt a little bit contrived. Why would he do that? Um, why would he care so much about a cause? Um, but then not care about the people who are within that cause, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's look at sweet sidekicks, or over-sweet sidekicks. <laughs> um, obviously, good side characters are necessary, because if someone doesn't identify with your main character, they might keep reading for a side character. So far, so good. But... <laughs> if, Big butt. If, your, if your side character is the one with all the answers or is able to magically solve everything or just never get slapped down then they have too much candy yeah and as we said earlier this is even worse than a candied main character because a candied side character will skew the narrative and take over it's not their story the reader will feel betrayed and it shouldn't be allowed to happen yes the fact of the matter is, is that your side characters are also, should also be going through their own journey. So yes, they should be main characters of their own kind of narratives, but that's not the story that you are telling. Um, if you have decided you're telling the story from this main character's perspective, you've got to be kind of very conscientious of how you candy your side characters. Um, now, I really feel like it's worth pointing out that this is a different situation where you can actually have two main characters in a story, um, even though the story is told from only one person's perspective. For example, Sherlock Holmes, for the most part, is told from Watson's perspective. Watson is obviously a main character because it's his narrative, but Sherlock Holmes is also a main character. And Sherlock Holmes has a lot of candy. But he's not infallible, he makes mistakes, and he doesn't always have all of the answers. Yeah. It's also a very particular style of writing and story form. So, um, again, when the amount of candy you give is also going to depend on what kind of story you're trying to tell and who your readership is as well. Because you do have comedic kind of things... Um, uh, okay, this is going to sound stupid. Wallace and Gromit. <laughs> okay, random example. <laughs> Wallace and Gromit. Gromit is pretty much always right. <laughs> That's true, actually, but he is, has the he's disadvantage of being a dog. He does have the disadvantage of being a dog, but he's quite a candied character. He's got a lot of things going for him. Um, and you do get that in sort of cartoons and stuff like that, where you have the, the sort of the main character who's the human or usually is the human and they have some sort of magical creature uh, as a sort of a side character who's constantly having to sort out all the messes. And that's used for comedy, but that doesn't tend to be a long narrative. That tends to be short, short and sweet yeah. little narratives. You've made me think of Inspector Gadget now as well. Inspector Gadget, yes. Sorry. We don't have the copyright. <laughs> we don't have the copyright. It's all right. It was less than 12 seconds. <laughs> um, anyway, so basically, if you cannot stop candying... God, this is... Even I'm like, am I going too far here? No, let's keep going. If you cannot stop candying a side character, um, then... There's a chance that maybe you're writing this story from the wrong character's perspective. Maybe the candied side character should actually be your main character. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, but you can have an over-candied side character and make them work if they have to go away on their own missions for a long period of time. So, for example, Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel mm. in a side-serving capacity is way, way too overpowered to be in most plots. But yeah. she has to go off and deal with the rest of the universe. So you kind of get away with it. Um, yeah. Same with Superman. Yeah. To a certain extent. Because really, it's kind of like Superman and the rest of the Justice League. I mean, obviously Wonder Woman comes quite close, but but it's kind of like it's the Justice League. Oh, and we've got God on our team. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing is, obviously, if your candied side character turns out to be a villain in disguise, as we've said, a villain cannot have too much candy as long as you keep them a villain. So, um, you know, I, I, I've said sort of Magneto as an example the thing is, I love Magneto. I really love him as a character in every iteration. Um, but he is technically a villain. It's just he they is. kind of lost track of that in the films because he's such a fan favourite. He is. He's a massive fan favourite. And I think increasingly people are, are like, no, Magneto's right. A bit extreme about it, but Magneto's right. It's like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't have camps for people who don't have mutations. But otherwise, he's got a point. <laughs> yeah, maybe mass genocide isn't the way, but still Magneto. <laughs> but yeah, basically your story is your main character show, which means it hinges on the main character solving the main problems, um, and it, it hinges on their actions and their decisions. Uh, side mm. characters should not steal the spotlight. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> so, um... Just in review, why is too much candy a bad thing? <laughs> First of all, it skews the plot. Yeah, it does. It'll unbalance everything. You know what a bear I am for structure. So if you, you start doing yeah. that, I will appear in an incorporeal form as you're trying to sleep. And I will lecture you about structure. Okay, I won't actually do that. But... Well, it's, just, it's just like I'm a bear. I will appear in an incorporeal form while you're trying as a bear. to as a bear. rummage through your bins as a bear. I am the structure bear. Okay. <laughs> we, we've got two t-shirt things now. We shall meet in the strange place. We meet in the strange place. I am the structure bear. Yeah, we should totally do this. I swear we to just... God we didn't do a bunch of drugs before we started this episode, by the way, guys. <laughs> Um, another reason, it kills tension. If you don't have challenges that it takes at least some struggle for the main character to overcome, you are going to lose tension. That doesn't mean it has to be catastrophe upon catastrophe, because honestly, that's boring. Okay, yeah. your characters need wins as well. But if it's a case of, ah, oh, the terrible Zorlag of, of whatever prime, and his <laughs> 80, 30, 80 legs or whatever... Um, no man can stand against him and, it, and the main character just comes in and goes with their the, the gun and that's it it's all over it's like yeah. no okay that's not a challenge that was a terrible <laughs> example but you're following me am i am i following you you have no choice now i was mostly talking about the listeners <laughs> yeah absolutely um um, also, the problem with too much candy is that your main character is going to come off as insufferable. Um, now, again, it depends who you're writing for. Um, if you're writing for kids, you can actually kind of get away with it a little bit more than if you're writing for adults. But I know personally, as like an adult, um, you know, like when you're a kid and you have all these kind of wild fantasies that you sort of like to sort of play in your head? Yeah. 
Um, as an adult, if I had the same things, I'd be like, whew, cringe. <laughs> yeah, you kind of go hot and cold, don't you? Yeah, you're just there like, no, I think that's too much of a good thing for me. I don't think I'm allowed that. <laughs> this is just embarrassing. What if mind readers are listening? They'll think I'm totally pretentious. Um, you know, yeah. <laughs> so I think like the capa- your capacity for it changes as you become older. So depending who you're writing for that is something you are going to want to consider as well definitely um and the other thing is one of my ongoing bugbears which is contrivance if you have to do a hard right turn in a plot in order to try and force something to work chances are you are contriving something and the reason you're contriving it is probably because you've done something with your characters you ought not to have done yeah so how do you fix a candied character because they can be fixed Yes. Um, you feed them kale. Yep. <laughs> the most disgusting of all. <laughs> kale is fine. In small... I think it's actually mostly how people cook it. Yeah, well, yeah, this is true. But don't you eat it raw? Okay, I... this is a sidebar. Like... Anyway, <laughs> Jules, moving on. I don't eat kale. She's <laughs> <laughs> a kale? What the fuck? I don't eat kale. I'm not a rabbit. <laughs> how dare you? How dare you? Um, but you should give kale to your characters. Um, just as you go for leafy greens in real life if you ate too much sugar, in writing, you need to feed your characters a certain amount of spinach. Yes. So, again, leafy greens. Um, too much candy makes a character unlikable because audiences feel they should get taken down a peg or two. I've definitely felt like that about characters I've read. Yeah. Um, so feeding a character kale means the audience can feel like the character deserves rewards. And again, I've definitely felt like that as well. So... Yeah, it also brings them closer to the readers as well. Yes. Um, if a character just feels way, way too far from the readers, too detached from them, you, they we're likely to stop actually rooting for them. So bringing them down a few pegs while still having them achieve greatness is actually a really good way of sort of finding that balance. Definitely. So what do we mean by kale? Well, we've explained candy, so we are definitely going to explain kale. Um <laughs> Feeding your character kale can include the following sort of things. So difficulty in mastering important skills or even failing to do so. So um, I've, I've, there's loads of examples of this. But um, for mm-hmm. example, in Harry Potter, he fails to master legitimacy, which has always yeah. really bugged me. I always wanted him to go back and actually learn it properly because it was a skill. Yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't. He completely fails at it. Yeah. Though, to be fair, it's probably very likely that his teacher... Uh, might have you know contributed to that yes um but yeah absolutely um you can you can have the, some them fail to do it but you can also have them really struggle to do it now i've really again i'm going to use harry potter just because it's such a universal thing that a lot of people know in the fourth book when he's going through the trials um he has to practice and practice and practice the axio spell yeah. in order to make it work even though he's a wizard even though he's quite powerful and he's got a, a good wand and stuff like that um spells don't automatically come straight to him some of them actually do take a lot and a lot of practice um and he gets he gets some good grades in defense against the dark arts because he has a lot of field experience with it um but you know he gets knocked down as often as he kind of rises back up again um, so it doesn't just come easily. He can't just do things straight away. Yeah, definitely. Um, other kinds of kale, uh, again, this needs to be internally consistent with the narrative, but disdain and yeah. condescension from other characters. 
So you can't just put in a bunch of random haters and expect it to work. There's got to be a good reason. Um, so, for example, the Murderbot Diaries, the main character, Murderbot, um, is, is part of a, a, a line of um, synthetic beings that are traditionally used for sort of espionage and combat and things like that. So yeah. people are quite rightly a little bit suspicious of this one that has reprogrammed itself to not be a murder bot. <laughs> Good for you, not murder bot. <laughs> murder bot, absolutely great. I've talked about it before, but um, but yeah, it makes it makes sense in the narrative as well. It, yeah. And, but this is this is where you've got to be careful because you can accidentally just create a candied character doing this as well and trying to make them uncandied by saying, oh well, you know, look, they're being bullied by these people, and you're like, yeah, but the people who they're who are being nasty to them are just very clearly bullies, so we know that they're in the wrong, you know. Um, it's okay to have a character or have characters criticize or dislike your. Um, your main character, uh, not just because they're assholes. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, again, this is one where I'm a bit okay. It needs to be balanced, but you know, instead of you can have a character with uh, you know these amazingly strange coloured eyes, etc., and you can give them an unattractive physical trait to balance it, or a trait mm -hmm. that the character is very self conscious about. Mm, Does, yeah. doesn't have to be physical for physical by the way guys it's just a you know make their beauty human rather than inhuman unless of course they are in fact inhuman yeah again it's all about the context of the story that you're writing yep um failure and mistakes when solving conflicts let your character get it wrong yeah i have to say this is something i'm doing with Amy in Harker and Blackthorn and I think mm. I can hear people screaming um, from the US <laughs> and from the rest of the UK even now from here, um, from here. over <laughs> someone, someone's screaming right now <laughs> including Madeline obviously well um, simply because Amy could be an absolute quizats Haderach because she is that smart yeah which means she has to be an absolute duffer in another area and the area she's a complete duffer in is romance yes she literally cannot see what's beyond the end of her nose simply because she has relied on this extra sense for her entire life and she doesn't yes. realise that's what she's been doing. Yeah. So she's um, missing something very, very obvious to everyone else. <laughs> Everybody else. Um, but again, it makes sense within the context of the story and it also makes sense within the context of her character. Um, and how this doesn't, this isn't just something which affects her in terms of romance, um, but is actually indicative of a larger problem um, and trauma. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Amy. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, being insignificant or unremarkable. So we actually touched on this before and how you can make that work yeah um, in children's books it often means the characters are mice for some reason <laughs> love me some good old mice um i think it's you know it's very kind of in children's books you get it a lot as well with with child characters because child character children often feel unheard unseen for a number of different reasons 
Um, and I think that's why you get a lot of mice and stuff like that uh, in, small... in children's fiction because... Yeah. Um, um, well, The Hobbits, for example, in Lord of the yeah. Rings. Um, because they, you know, Tolkien says quite bluntly at the beginning, they're not especially dignified or handsome or... But they're sort of like stout and comfortable and they enjoy food and they're not really given to adventures kind of thing. It's like, oh, yeah. you're really setting out your stool here. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, uh, and so, oh, you know, they're not really even considered adults until they're, was it like 30 years old? And <laughs> as a child, you're like, oh, how strange. And as, <laughs> as a 30 year old, you're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> Tolkien, who was a professor at Oxford, you know, yeah. clearly saw this clearly. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he was like, these children, children everywhere. Um, anyway. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so making them um, a little bit insignificant or unremarkable or a character who comes from an unlikely background to be a hero. Yeah. Um, I think these things can all really help develop um, a character further and make sure they're not too candied. But again, it kind of depends how you frame it. It does. It was really irritating at um, everything that they kind of did right with The Last Jedi. They then undid with Rise of Skywalker because Rey mm. was supposed to be just anyone, no one special kind of thing. And that was yeah. an interesting take for Star Wars, which had this like these mystical bloodlines. And I'm a yeah. fan of mystical bloodlines, but I think you've got to be careful how you do them. And then suddenly yeah. she was a Palpatine and she chooses to be a Skywalker. And it was just, you had a character who was candied in the first film a little bit, and then you yeah. uncandied her quite successfully in the second film. And then in the third film, I don't know who directed it, but you brought in someone and they just poured that sugar on. They drowned yeah. the poor character in it. And, uh, and left other characters to otherwise just drown. Yeah. Just... <laughs> so, I mean, and I have to say that, you know, I'm a, I'm a Star Wars fan and I still enjoyed the film, but it was a mess because of this. Yeah. Okay, so any type of kale can balance out any type of candy. So, you know, if you have a character who has cool eyes, you don't have to make them physically unattractive in other ways if you don't want to. You could yeah. just make them have difficulty mastering a skill. Maybe one yeah. that everyone else finds easy. Yes. Um, and again, think about where they're candied and how you can kind of um, balance these things in a realistic way. Because if you just do it instead of like, oh, well, they're better at this, so I better make them clumsy or something like that, that, it can, that can just feel a little bit sort of dull. Yeah. Um, unless it is, oh, they're candied because they have this superhuman... They've suddenly been given this superhuman strength, but okay, all right. What are the what are the, some of the problems associated with having that superhuman strength? We go back to our Candyman Wolverine, um, who <laughs> the is Candyman can. the Candyman. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, really weird sort of copyright jewels. <laughs> Again, less than twelve seconds. Weird sort of X Men, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory crossover there. Yeah, um, but. <laughs> That would make Charlie and the Chocolate Factory so much better. <laughs> it's just Wolverine. <laughs> anyway, There's no um, Willy Wonka here. <laughs> it's just oh, but now I just want Hugh Jackman to play, to do a, a modern version of yeah, of, um, yeah, me too. Yeah, he he'd do it. Yeah, he could sing absolutely. it. It'd be it'd be beautiful. Anyway, um, 
So what I was going to say uh, is um, <laughs> Candyman Wolverine, um, his whole yes, I can live forever thing has also left him massively jaded um, with great difficulty when it comes to social skills and obviously all of the other things that came along with the experimentation that, that you know, has put him in the position that he's in. So these things are connected. They're not just randomly kind of attributed yeah um so yeah basically what matters is what happens in a story so you can get away with a character like wolverine who has a lot of mm -hmm. candy if the story puts him in physically and socially awkward situations so um, the story delivers the kale it doesn't have to be something intrinsic to the character it can just yeah. be kind of like ah you've got all this wonderful stuff but you know what the universe hates you yeah, it's, exactly. it's kind of like, you know, the favourites of one Greek god then got ruthlessly punished <laughs> by the other Greek gods for being yeah. a favourite. Yeah, like exactly. <laughs> it's like being favoured by the gods in, in Greek mythology was not a great thing, to be honest. Honestly, if someone says, oh, you are favoured of the gods, you should be sweating very nervously. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> can I Can I be an unfavourite? Can, can they unfavourite me? <laughs> No, that's worse. It's worse. <laughs> the other thing you can do is you can save the candy for later in the story. So you deliver kale for the first, if it's a three-act story, for the first two mm -hmm. acts, and you don't give the character any real candy until the third act when suddenly something clicks for them. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you let your reader get attached to them while they're having a diet of kale, and then you give them give them the good stuff yeah, yeah give them the good Jules when you say it like that it sounds really suspicious I think everything I've said this episode has sounded really suspicious so I'm it, just going to roll has... into it now yeah you're just just leading into it huh yeah, yeah. okay okay um... <laughs> it is possible to have too much kale yes so everything in moderation if all you do is punish a character <clears throat> Madeline um... what come on <laughs> <laughs> no, that was unfair. Madeline does punish her characters, but never more than I can actually bear. In the end. In the end, in the ultimately. End. Um, <laughs> if all they do is struggle without enough wins or big enough wins, then your readers will get bored. This was... I know not everyone is going to agree with this, and I'm pretty sure Madeline doesn't, but I. this is kind of how I felt with the third Gentleman Bastards book. Um, I got to the point where I was starting to lose interest because I didn't feel that Jean and Locke had had a big enough win for a, a long period of time. Mm. Um, and it wasn't, I wanted them to have candy, but I was kind of like, okay, they're seriously, they've been eating kale for three books now, and it's just like, <laughs> can they have dessert? You know, just tiny portion of dessert? No dessert for them. No dessert. <laughs> um, and that's a your mileage may vary thing, but, you know, if you take that to extremes, and again, it depends on the genre. If you're writing Grimdark, chances are they're going to be eating kale for almost all the story or yeah. series, well, whatever. Well, it was it was why ultimately I just couldn't finish um, uh, a series of unfortunate events. And to be fair, you know, like Lemony Snicket does warn you, but... um. <laughs> Does he use he the word kale? <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> but by God, he should. <laughs> but don't mention the word kale to him because he'd probably just go on an entire tangent about kale. Um, anyway, I just sort of ended up giving up because I was like, this is just too much kale. This is too much kale for me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, okay, so you can have too much kale, you can have too much candy, 
um, it's all about that balance. Definitely. So um, I guess we should sort of start to finish off, but before we do, we kind of wanted to talk a little bit maybe about kale and candy in our own work. Now, some quiet accusations have been thrown. <laughs> Are they unfounded accusations? Yes. <laughs> All right. Make your case. <laughs> All right. So I'll, I'll okay. I'll start. I'll start. Rufus is a candied character. He's got a lot going for him. He doesn't read as candied. In fairness, he doesn't read no. as your your darling. And certainly not the way you treat him. Okay, there you That's go. The story you know is delivering my darling. <laughs> That's how you know he's my darling because I'm being really cruel to him. It really, it really is tainted love with you, isn't it? You know? It really, really is. Um, no, I mean the thing is that, as I was saying, Rufus could really be read as a, as quite a candy's character. He does have a lot going for him. Um, you know, he's very, very intelligent. He is in a position of command. He's got a, a, a loving family. He's got some of that tragic past, you know, um, which is delicious um, for <laughs> those of us who drink our character's tears. So, you know, he's got a lot going for him. Um, and ultimately, like, it, he he kind of suffers for... First of all, his um, his position, obviously, he's kind of taken advantage of, um, and it, the power that he has kind of has its drawbacks. A lot of drawbacks. Well, yeah, it's um, it's like yeah, it's kind of the whole phenomenal cosmic power, but itty bitty living space kind of thing, isn't it? It's... Exactly. Yeah. Um, because yeah, he he is. He is the he does have uh possess the mortal form. Um, you know, he's the living avatar of a literal god. Um, you know, so that could be that could be hella candied. And I I think maybe there are probably people out there who are like, yeah, to be honest, that's a little bit too much candy for me. Um, but you know, like, I don't make it easy for him. I like to think that I kind of balance it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> through sheer suffering <laughs> that's what i mean he doesn't read as candy to me at all um probably because it's like something awful's happening chances are it's happening to rufus <laughs> <laughs> to, to be fair it's also probably happening to zachary yeah but you kind of feel like zachary deserves it more because he eats people <laughs> and also zachary in the first book you don't really get to know him in the same way as you do in the second book so yeah, this is this is absolutely true. Um, <laughs> Zachary, <laughs> my favorite thing is that obviously quite a few people really like Zachary, um, and the <laughs> it's the when people argue, it's just they're like he eats people, he ate several people. <laughs> yeah, is he really a candied character if he ate that many people? <laughs> what are the rules here? Yeah, that's a bit of a poser, isn't it? Because <laughs> weirdly, those two states don't cancel each other out in this case. Yes, um, and maybe that says more about me than it should. Um, <laughs> but I think, obviously, people only have... For some people, you only have the briefest kind of um, experience with Kestrel. Um, 
And I I feared, I had fears that I might accidentally make Kestrel a Candy's character. Um, but the more I write Kestrel, the more I feel like that's going to be very, very difficult, seeing as not even the people who love Kestrel really like her sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I stand by my comment that she is not a reluctant hero. She is a grudging hero. <laughs> She's really rude. <laughs> She's really rude to her boss all the time. Yes. <laughs> um, and I think she does get called out on that. I certainly try and make sure she's called out on it. And she certainly makes mistakes um, and she's grumpy and, uh, you know, she has her flaws. Um, but again, I think it will depend on the mileage for people. Yeah, definitely. And again, this is urban fantasy, so it's different proportions of kale to candy as it would be in, in say, grimdark or middle grade fiction or whatever. You... Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, in terms of the the children's fiction that I've written, um, I do have more Candy's characters, I think. But even my candiest of candy characters um, makes mistakes and gets angry about things um, that actually perhaps she needs a little bit more perspective on because she was just upset yeah yeah definitely um in, in terms of my writing i think probably my most candid character is actually amy but she's so it's so balanced by other things that i don't think she comes across as candid she, i don't think she comes across as insufferable no i agree um and this is the thing in that i as you well know, and as our listeners will know, um, I can have some real difficulty with female characters sometimes. Yeah. Um, engaging with them, um, understanding them, etc. Just, just kind of getting behind because of the way that I find that sometimes they're written, and I've never had a dif I've never had a problem with Amy, in that regard. I've always found her to be uh, just just to be able to follow her yes she does have that candy but she is not just perfect by any stretch of the imagination um and the the things that she has to go through i feel really really kind of balance it out and she does make mistakes um and she does need to kind of be chided at times um so i feel like yeah she's not a candy's character yeah it's um obviously the all the things that she goes through as you say um mm. but also i think I, it's, as i've said before it's the fact she's an absolute dumbass about a couple of specific things yeah and i mean without sorry i was going to say and all of that is rooted very much in the fact that there are certain i mean she's good at compartmentalizing things but she kind of compartmentalizes them and doesn't deal with them and it's come yeah. out of that absolutely um and i feel like a part of that really comes out in her i don't want to give spoilers but the books have been out for a while but her relationship with sienna for example yeah um she doesn't actually um she doesn't actually behave very well in that regard particularly when her friends are kind of showing concern and she is very dismissive of it because she's uncomfortable with it. Yeah, I think it's more that she's defensive because yeah. she knows there's something not right, but she doesn't want to confront 
she she hates confrontation for a start but she doesn't want to yeah. confront what the actual issues are and, and really look at them yeah absolutely um you know and that you know that's an issue onto itself you know this is a character who is um actually ends up sort of endangering the whole situation uh because she doesn't want to confront an uncomfortable situation um and it's not it's not unreasonable for her to be acting in the way that she's acting it's just a byproduct of the person that she is and what she's been through so it didn't feel frustrating it didn't feel annoying it felt realistic but it was also a nice bit of kale i felt yeah. i mean i have had a number of people say they would like a certain situation resolved now please um <laughs> and i don't want to give anything away because you know what the next few books will be out before you know it and you can yep. find out for yourself but um no i'm not just giving people what they want here it's going to follow a logical progression you really aren't you really aren't and for anyone who's who feels like jules is bullying them i would like you all to know <laughs> that no matter what you say it won't have an effect because i've been bullying jules in this regard and screaming at her screeching at her for like over a year now so you know like get in line um <laughs> no nothing you say to her is going to is going to have any effect if my insist incessant jules jules please <laughs> jules i mean isn't <laughs> if you did if you told me something really didn't work but the thing is it kind of does work so yeah no it's mostly just being like jules why are you well, hurting it... me now because <laughs> you'll, you'll enjoy it more later not the hurting but the Okay, well, that sounded really dicey. That is the <laughs> diciest thing I have said today. And we've been saying some pretty dicey things. <laughs> we really have. Yeah. So um, other characters, just very, very briefly. Uh, mm. Gregory, not candied at all. <laughs> but the, oh, he's kind of over certainly, at the beginning uh, yeah. of The King's um, Night. You... <laughs> Well, I would also say is that you could say, well, that's the thing is um, Cuthbert. Cuthbert is, his attitude is all candy, but obviously his physical appearance is Kale. And his situation initially. And his situation is definitely yeah. Kale. <laughs> yeah, no one really got candied in The King's Night. They, they tend to not get candied in the um, historical fiction, right? Um, yeah, the, the, the closest we get to candied is, is with Eleanor, but her situation isn't really candy at all. No. No, I think Not if I'd given least. her mystical powers, maybe, but... <laughs> <laughs> no. That's another book. Another book. <laughs> um, and M, I don't... I think the thing with M is, yeah, she has... She ends up with this amazing ability, but the downside of that ability is so phenomenally huge. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you can necessarily call it candy. It's also not necessarily an attractive ability, is it? Being able to open um, a passage into the lands of the dead. It's kind of like, there's a very limited amount of things you can do with that unless you are a supervillain. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not the, it's, it's certainly not the kind of party trick you bring out it's at like, dinner. Hey, we've made you responsible for all the lost souls on Earth. You've got to find them as you live your life and make sure they move on so that the balance is maintained. It's like, 
well thanks for fucking bunch i thought i was going to be a musician you know <laughs> you can do you can be a musician too on the side because <laughs> the other thing is it's not like she even gets paid for it nope <laughs> at least kestrel gets paid for doing what she does yeah, whoever was negotiating M's situation did not bring their best game to the table that day. <laughs> you know what she should have done? She should have brought um, she should have brought Grace in with her. Yes, yeah, definitely. Um, Grace would have sorted it out. I mean, I I guess Kieran's a bit candied, but again, it's such a huge dis- disadvantage in so many ways that. Because I never. The thing is, I didn't really see Kieran as as candied because i felt like we saw some very particular and very ugly parts of him sometimes yeah he yeah he's not perfect by any stretch and he does some really shit things he does um not out of malevolence but just because he's human and he's a mess he yeah and he's going through things so you know you can kind of understand it um but yeah it's um yeah, I never really saw him as candied. I just, I just really liked him. <laughs> and Steve is absolutely not candied at all. Steve is the most uncandied character ever. Who actually, I tell you what, Steve is. Steve is a character who everyone assumes is uncandied, and then actually, if you look at him properly, you're like, hang on, how did I not some, notice this? There's, there's, there's something sweet here. <laughs> Gotta dig through a lot of kale to get to it, but you gotta <laughs> so much kale, a garden of kale. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Well, shall we stop flogging this metaphor and um, conclude our musings? Never. Never. Uh, yes, we should. Uh, before we go, it is time for our dissecting dragons recommendation of the week, and this week, Jules, you've got one for us. Yeah. Um, this is this will be a divider because, as I understand it, the people who watch the animated series generally not really liked the live action version and vice Mm. versa i haven't seen the animated series yet but i'm willing to give it a go um this is cowboy bebop but there's only one season unfortunately it's on netflix and i have to say i watched the first few episodes and i was a bit kind of like what and it i didn't it took me a few episodes for it to actually click and then Mm. after that i thought this is actually kind of cool they've kept the sort of anime feel to it Mm. and they've kept a lot of the sort of um, space noir aesthetic and things and yeah if you take it on its own terms it's a lot of fun and it it tells you quite a lot about storytelling to look at something that, that tackles it from a different way and blends yeah. so many genres together so it's kind of weird west meets space noir um hmm. i found it was a lot of fun um okay so yeah i would say give it a go okay all right well thank you for that one um i haven't seen it so i might i might give it a little um i might give it a nosy and on that note guys we'll say thanks very much for listening um do get in touch with us let us know who your favorite characters are um are they candied um too much kale do you agree with our selection do you disagree with our selection do you know what jules was referencing with the title that shall not be named let us know remember you can get in touch with us via our facebook our twitter um or our tumblr both individually or through the dissecting dragons pages we love to hear from you and on that note we'll say thanks and goodbye yeah thanks and goodbye You've been listening to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast. 
You can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes. For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissecting readers or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com. Please note that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast.